In an increasingly complex world, Greif Philanthropic Solutions is proud to sponsor Hat Radio and the one and only Avram Rosenzweig. No one is better than Avram at simplifying the art of communication, providing inspiration, and unifying people of all backgrounds. GPS is there to help you navigate the charity landscape. Avram is there to help you navigate life. Step inside my living room Share a little talk By roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height In the height Put it all in the height And welcome back to Hat Radio. My name is Avram Rosenzweig, and this is episode 49, 7 times 7, a really big number. And my uh, really special guest today is Rabbi Benjamin Hecht, who happens to be my brother-in-law. Hello, Rabbi Benji. Hi. How are you? Really going to call me Rabbi Benji? I was like a half between Rabbi and Benji, my brother-in-law and the rabbi, you know? <laughs> uh, rabbi Hecht, if you don't know him, is the founding director of Nishma, is recognized throughout North America and Israel for his study, insights, and perspective in the field of Torah law and ethics. He serves as the editor of the Nishma Journal and Nishma Introspection, and he writes prolifically on Jewish thought and its interaction with the world political scene and the human condition. Rabbi Hechtev is active in Nishma's ongoing research and education projects. Uh, he holds degrees in law psychology and business he is a dad a husband and he's a zadie yes uh, how is it being a zadie um nice nice uh, they're, they're too far away that's uh my, my my grandkids are in milwaukee and los angeles and uh we'd like to have them much closer we'd like to spend more time with them you know you know there's a uh a, a, a car bumper sticker that says had I known it was so great being a grandparent, I would have done it first. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> right? it's easy, isn't it? It's it's, and you get all the pride. It's different, but but, um, as my as my wife would say, I I started relating to my kids when they could start, you know, like like around the age of seventeen or right. whatever. Right. And then, you know, so she'll say, yeah, wait, wait till they wait, wait till they able to talk and get involved. Then I'll be better. It's kind of an interesting thing, really, because parents do actually relate to their children better at different ages. Yes. Right? Yes. yes. And you, you yes. don't know that until you're a parent. Yeah, it's very interesting because, um, you know, some people really, really like the baby stage and the young kid stage. Other people like different stages. Um, I mean, with grandkids, they just they just melt your heart, whatever. But, yeah. but the... the uh, but there's something special relating to your kid when when you actually can get into a conversation with them and when they can disagree with you and you know like with me I always like you know I always wanted my kids to be able to converse with me you know and and so forth like well uh, that's the big thing with you is communication yeah and and uh, um, sometimes and this is strange to say maybe sometimes 
parental respect can get in the way in the yeah. sense that they're afraid to say things and so forth. I don't know if I don't know how my kids look at it, but to me, um, I think they they feel they can talk to me to a certain extent, you know. You know, and and you know, we have we have heated discussions sometimes, you know. Yeah, it's funny because when we were growing up and I would see your kids respond to you, you, their type of respect for you was different than the respect that I was brought up on. Right. The respect that I was brought up on was very much of the Leave it to Beaver 1950s. Mm -hmm. Father knows best. Mm-hmm. That's another show. Yeah. Whereas you didn't really, you didn't really agree with that approach. You didn't mind the back and forth, no. aggressive no. discussion. As and and respect would have been defined differently. How would you have defined it? It's interesting. I think there's mutual respect for the fact that they're thinking and, and analyzing and so forth. In other words, uh, you're not showing respect to another person if you don't perceive them as having some basis for their for their argument yeah so now, now i'm not saying every person in the world deserves accepting some basis there's there's certain views in the world and and jewish people have, have suffered at some of these views in the world which have no basis whatsoever yeah but the, but the point is is that is that most people think they have a basis for what they're saying and they and they and you want to you want to bring that out and so forth. Now, there, there's a difference between disagreeing by saying, like the, the, I, I'm telling people today, that our world is I'm right and you're going to hell. The, the attitude, the left, the right, it's I'm right, you're going to hell. There's a difference between that attitude and the other says, okay, I really think I'm right and I have basis for what I'm right, but let me hear your opinion. And in the end, I may disagree with you, but I understand you have arguments. You know, I have issues with your arguments and so forth. It's a very different idea. And my kids were always brought up with that. Yeah, so we're, we're going to get into that later on. I like to yeah. position this show having to do with you around the concept of Elu v. Elu. And Elu yeah. v. Elu is a Talmudic concept, a Jewish concept, which essentially is this is right, that is right, and guess what? That's right, too. Yeah. I, all, all within a framework. It, it, within within a certain framework. The the I pointed this out that within there are certain parameters of Eluva Elu, that within those parameters both opinions have equal validity. Then there's the other the other side where there's opinions outside the parameters and you can disagree and say, yes, I think that's wrong, but you still try to understand why the person is giving that right. argument, even though you have to strongly disagree with it. So the, the Eluva Elu works within the halachic parameters, the parameters of certain a priorities, let's say within, like we talk about certain, certain Talmudic a priorities, but there's a certain idea of respect for other opinions. And it's also interesting that, um, I'm sort of going off on this a little bit, is that there's also the recognition of human weakness. So for example, in a certain way, um, let's say what I would call is Orthodox Judaism or Halachic Judaism or whatever, is very understanding of 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 other of others or very tolerant of others right, right. because we understand that there's human weaknesses. So you didn't get it right, but it's because you're a human being and you did the best you could. 
Oh, so, you know, so it's that's a, refreshing. Yeah, it, it's like you don't really find the same kind of thing like you find. I, I'm not trying to be critical of all the religions, but you find with all the religions this right, you know, this statement: "I'm right, and you're going to hell." You right. believe this, or you're going to hell. In in in, in Jewish thinkers throughout the ages. They had relationships with people of other religions. Like there's great rabbis or relationships with, let's say, great ministers and great priests and so forth. Right. And their attitude was, yeah, I think they're wrong, but they're human beings. And, uh, you know, so everyone I mean, can And there's another piece of that, too. Okay. Is that truth, we can say, was revealed to the world, not just the Jewish people. So... While you may not believe in Jesus Christ as a savior, okay, so Christians do. That's yeah. I, I, you see, what I'm saying is, is the is that the fact that someone accepts something which I think to be to be incorrect yeah. or whatever, um, I can have an attitude that says I think you're wrong. But the next step that people take is, and you're going to hell. Yeah, right. That's okay, the, that's the, the big one. And, and, and you know, and it's like. You are culpable for this mistake, and what I find within Jewish thought is that it's it's not fully elu ve'elu. Elu ve'elu is a statement within certain parameters that says, "Hey, they're both acceptable opinions." There's also an attitude in Jewish thought that says, "And there are non-acceptable opinions, but don't call the person who has that non-acceptable opinion." Don't tell them culpable for that. No, no. What, what I was trying to say before is that. Can we not accept as Jews that monotheism exists within a Christian framework? And yes, I, although although as as a as a as a halachic Jew, I would sit there and say there's certain attitudes of monotheism that they have, which is incorrect, but they're not culpable for that incorrectness. Right, okay, okay, just to okay, clarify. And that, that, by the way, is is actually a halachic statement in the sense of why. Um, you know, it, it was interesting because Naomi saw some, some. Na- Naomi is my sister. My sister's right, okay. and she's your wife. And, and she's my wife, who, who is. You're a, feeling comfortable here, aren't you? Yeah, she, she she's, um, and, and she's a thoughtful woman. You know, and very say. bright. Yeah, she's yeah, she's very bright and so forth and so forth. She's not like you, you know. I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm the black sheep of the family. Yeah, well, not, well, no, not, no, 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 I'm talking. You know, anyways, okay. Not but, the sharpest knife in the drawer. Okay, yeah, but, yeah. But, but the, in many ways, in many ways, you know, my, my my wife my wife knows a lot of things more than me. That's for sure. But but the fact that she was watching some TV show or some show, and the, and the guy in the show said, or some movie or something like that, and the guy said something about how Jews believe if you believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. And she asked me, and she said. Is that true? Are there Jews who believe they believe in Jesus? I said, no, absolutely not. You know, hey, you believe in Jesus? So we believe you're wrong. But in terms of who decides whether you're going to hell or not, yeah. it's not my decision. It's God. And God knows how you made your decision based upon facts, based on that. So, yes, there are people who make decisions. And God knows, you know, something that was a wrong decision and you're coupled for the wrong decision. But there's other people who make decisions, and they were wrong, but they're not culpable for it. And you know something? That's God's province. That's not me. I can sit there and say I disagree with you, but but by but in terms of who says the consequences, that's that's how, not how my do you job. know how do you know what God's thinking? By the way, 
<laughs> you don't know what God's thinking. The fact is, is the belief I have yeah. is for me to try and figure out as much as I can. In other words, it's it's my relationship with God through my religion is that God wants me to think. Okay, it's not about about um, simple belief. It's not about oh, I want to believe and so forth and so forth. It's that God has. You see, in many ways, um, God has a purpose for man, and the purpose of man is to grow and to emulate Him. You can never truly emulate Him because He is totally outside of our of our possibility of emulation. Right. But we are supposed to grow and develop, and and part of that is to be able to think and so forth. So for God specifically. Um, instructs us in a manner that w- that makes us think and that's a that's a fundamental principle in in terms of in terms of um jewish thought it's really non-fundamentalist that's why judaism believes that revelation is not just the the the, the bible text it's a revelation of oral thought and so forth and even the revelation of the bible text is unclear um it, is that sort of like like i think therefore there's a god it's no, it's that the the way Judaism perceives it is that there was a there was a encounter with God at Sinai. There was no question that this is the way Maimonides would say it, for example. There was no uh, Maimonides question. being we should qualify who these people are. Maimonides was one of the great Jewish sages, great great Jewish philosopher, right. great Jewish legal mind. He he makes a statement in his in his Yad Chazakah, which is which is the major his his major work on Jewish law, and he says that Sinai was not a matter of belief. Everyone who was at Sinai knew God was talking to him. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. it wasn't I believe it was I'm here and God's talking to me, but and and this is, but the way he spoke was not was not simple. He spoke in a he not only wrote a text he also. When Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights, he wasn't just writing down a text. He was involved in the dialogue and, and information, which was specifically oral. And that oral presentation and even the the written presentation wasn't clear because it was to call upon human beings to investigate. So from a, from a Jewish perspective, you know, when, when we confront the issue of creation and evolution, right off the bat, we understand that... Um, the text is not written in a, in a, in a, in a, you know, this is fundamentally, this is it. The text was written in a way that demands us to think and analyze. Maimonides, I just quoted, talks about the recognition that it may not be literal, may be allegorical in some certain sense and so forth, but it's involved in, in understanding the lessons that come from it. Like I was just talking to someone about this idea in terms of the text. Let's say just use an example of evolution. Right. So it talks about six days, seven days, right? Okay. And every the day. The creation ends, of the world. Right. And, and every day ends. And it was evening, and it was, it was evening, and it was morning, uh, uh, a day and evening of the, of the first day or the second day and third day. And it was okay. good. Okay. It was good, whatever. Okay. So how do you define evening and day? How do we understand it? What's a day and what's an evening? Right. Okay. So what we understand by a 24 hour day, like in terms of. A 24-hour period, or we understand in terms of evening and 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 daytime, right? You sort of need the sun. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Evening is, was evening and day of the sun. Okay. And what day was the sun created on? The fourth day. Yes. So what does it mean right before the creation of the sun? It says, and it was evening and day of the first, of the, uh, uh, of the third day. And then it talks about creation of the sun. Yeah, good so question. So what the heck does that mean? Yeah. Whatever it means is I don't know. Can I even understand creation? It was Turkey in a world in a world that is totally beyond my comprehension of the physics of creation. Okay, it's not there to teach me science. It's there to teach me ideas. And the fact is, it's as way it teaches you ideas. Is it calls upon you to analyze and question and read and read between the lines and investigate and then confront the oral teachings that we have to further expand upon it why because god wants you to think yeah okay now and, and to accept within that that confusion comes with that as well yes yes and yeah. the fact is in the end through your thinking whether you're using that thinking process to come to a conclusion that is wrong or even evil God knows whether you're culpable for that, that you've read into it in such a way that you're trying to to have a theory that basically satisfies your own desire for a theory. That God can make that decision. But on the other hand, it's involved in terms of argument. And the other thing it leads to is the fact that human beings will have disagreements. Okay? So, yeah, you, you come to this conclusion, I come to this conclusion. There's a certain way we can say... You know, certain issues of logic will sit there and say, okay, you're right and I'm wrong. And it's a point in time, well, you have a logical argument, I have a logical argument. Am I reading into it in order to accomplish my own goal, which may be an evil goal and therefore culpable for it? Or whether it's my own, own, that's my investigation, that's my conclusion. That's it. And that leads to the Seilu because that's, it's fostered by being able to be involved in a dialogue. So, so, so what happened then over the years? Well, why, why did certain, let's say, Hasidic groups become very aggressive towards other Hasidic groups or even Lithuanian groups, shout out other groups? What, what happened to the whole Elevielu concept within, amongst our people? It's a tough question. Um, there is a concern that people will use that kind of argument to basically justify whatever they want to justify. Yeah. So the the point was, is that there were concerns that 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 people were sort of saying arguments which were tr- totally outside the pale, or, or or things like that, and and um, they were concerned. Like for example, in response to Reformed Judaism, there was different responses. One response was, is that these individuals are giving answers which are outside the pale, and the way. One way of responding to them is by investigating them and challenging them and discuss with them and so forth and so forth. The other way is by saying, listen, most people can't handle the arguments, so we want you not even to look at those arguments. But but what it comes down to is is that there is the possibility for people to come to um, people arrive at decisions which are outside the pale, which are problematic. Yeah. And therefore... You're concerned about those things and so forth. It's, you know, it's interesting. Uh, just to decide, throughout my life, um, I would, let's say, give a lecture. Okay, and when, when, when you get a lecture from me, um, uh, you know, the response will be, 
he gave, he raised more questions than answers, right, or right. he get, presented a whole bunch of different opinions. So which one is right? People, Be- come people with... used to get so angry with you yes. that you would not give them the answers. Yes. So people used to make jokes about me. Is that you know you talk about Alu but Alu, okay? It was like people would come up to me and say, okay, um, you ask me a question, and my and my response will be. Will be it's a machloket. A machloket is a disagreement. So mm-hmm. anyone would ask me a question, I'd say, well, it's actually a disagreement among 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 the the, the deciders of Jewish law, and 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 people who say, I just want an answer, yeah, please. Right, right. You know. So, but the point is, I let a lot of people, a lot of people come up to me and 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 you know over the years and say, what you said is true, but you shouldn't have said it. <laughs> because people can't handle this. <laughs> right. They'll walk away with this being that way. Now, it may be so. People may walk away thinking, I I am giving a carte blanche to come up with your own ideas and so forth. But but um, um, the point is, is that you got to let people think. And I think that that's really what I, what I say in terms of God. I think that that God wants one. There's a complexity in terms of God. One aspect of God is that we are supposed to serve Him. One aspect of God is we're supposed to be in awe of Him and fear Him. Another aspect of God is He wants us to emulate Him, which means and to love we, Him we, we, and, and to love Him, to emulate Him, and, lo- and therefore He wants us to to be involved in the process. And and there's a. You know, there's a famous Gemara, which, I'm, which you know, I don't want to get into details of the Gemara and so forth and so forth, but the rabbis came to a conclusion. And the one rabbi, the, the one rabbi in the minority said, I'm right. And he said, if I'm right, the, the tree should, should, should bend over and the tree bend over and so forth. And finally, he said, if I'm right, let the voice come out of heaven and say, I'm right. So a voice came out of heaven and said, he's right. So... The majority of the rabbis, the spokesman of the majority of the rabbis says, we're told in the Torah, right, that we are supposed to follow the majority. Right. Okay? And loba shemaimhi. It's no longer in God's province because he wants to give it to us to make these decisions. So loba shemaimhi, we have to follow the majority now. That's our rules. That's that. And so forth. So then they came, the Gmur says that they came over to Eliyahu and Navi. Who was around? Who was walking around at that time? Because Eliyahu Novi always find, always is found in various Talmudic stories and so forth. He's a, he's the he, prophet. The prophet Elijah, prophet Elijah, who went up to heaven in, in you know he didn't die. He went up to heaven in that mystical chariot, yeah. and and therefore he's perceived not to die. That's why he's the the one who visits us all, all the satyrs on Passover. Yeah, when we go and open the door, right, right, and the cat runs right, in. right. So they ran into him. This rabbi said. It's not in heaven anymore. God gave it to us. We have to follow the majority, and therefore, doesn't matter that the voice of heaven. We have to follow the majority. What did God do? And He said, God laughed and said, "My children have defeated me. My children have very defeated good. me." It is very and good. The, the, so the point is, but the idea behind that is, is you're following God's will because you believe God tells you to make this decision. But the point is, is what you're really doing is God's will is for you to think and grow and try to do what you think is right. And he understands human beings may get it wrong. But you know something? You're trying your best, okay? And you do it. So even if you are wrong, it's it shows that you're involved in the yeah. process. I say, you know, I want to thank you very much, really, for be- being in my life because... Prior to me meeting you and going through the system that I went through, 
which I spoke to Rabbi Karopkin about two weeks ago, three weeks ago on this show, um, there was none of this. I'm not even sure that we use the word thinking in the world that I came from. It was very black and white. And, and, and I know my dear friend Menachem is going to be listening to this. And he's going to challenge the hell out of me at boys' night on Thursday night. Avram, that's wrong. You know, I don't remember there not being thinking quite the opposite. Yeah, there was argumentation. Menachem also had a relationship with me. That's case, true. Good you know, point. You know, he, he, look, yes, there was. But he also ar- met other thinkers. Okay, fine. But yeah. at at the end of the day, you did a uh, course online on Kosher Tube about love um, and physical affection. I think it was, mm-hmm. you know, and you really challenged the person as to what is love. Mm-hmm. That was your question. When do we ever define love? Well, hallelujah, man. Never had any of that stuff, right? No one ever said what is love. There was no discussion, but there was never argumentation. You know, I'm, I'm going to take that a little it's, bit further. It's annoying. Love and sex, right? Yeah. Okay. So one of my questions when I talk about someone is, okay, um, I see this woman. Okay, I have to be careful about this. And I'm attracted to a certain part of her body. Yeah. And all of a sudden, that's love. It's like it's like how is sexual attraction connected to love? Yeah. Now the truth is is that it is. The, po- the point is is that there is something about sexual attraction that's connected to love. You know, um, one of the great. You know, but but how does how, how does that work? How is it that the, that this what we what some people consider the base drop? Does that mean that everyone? Everyone is attracted to a Playboy bunny. Is in is in love with that Playboy bunny. Yeah. It doesn't mean that. But on the other hand, if you don't have sexual attraction to the person you're in love with, then there's got to be. What does it say about your love? There's connect. But how many people really think about that? You know, people talk about having sex and making love. Okay, why is it making love? Yeah. How does it connect? And people don't talk about those things. Not at all. Right. Not not, not in the world that you come from. They don't. But even even not in the general, they don't really work out how sex and love. That's by the way one of the reasons that in Catholicism there was no the, the, the argument there was no connection. So if you look in terms of Catholicism and the development of the idea of celibacy, it's because they couldn't understand how sexual attraction related to love. That's why, for example, and therefore related to God, and therefore also related to God. So, but but also related to the concept of love. So that's why. In, in Catholicism, the example of, of pristine love is the father and the mother, the parental love, yeah. which is obviously not sexual, right? But the model from a Jewish perspective is found in the book of Song, and so- of, of Song of Songs, which can't just be read as a lewd poem, but it reflects the fact that there's something, obviously you don't have the sexual attraction to God, but there's something about the drive to uh, that sexual attraction has towards bringing two people together and so forth. There's a fascinating statement by Rabbi Soloveitchik on this point. Rabbi Soloveitchik being... Rabbi Soloveitchik was the major rabbi at Yeshiva University uh, okay, until right, his, right. Uh, you know, basically he passed away in 93. A major thinker, um, a major thinker of the, 21st, of the 20th century. But when I say he's your rabbi, okay, fine. What I meant was you follow his school of thought. I... I uh, 
can't say I follow one rabbi school of thought, but he's a major influence. Your thinking is more based in his thinking than it would be the Satma rabbis, oh, yes, which yes, is a far, but, far right-wing but, Hasidic sect, right? But right? if you think in terms of the people, I would say scholars of the uh, the great scholars of the 20th century, I you know I have put Rabbi Salvik there, but Rabbi Feinstein, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein also has a tremendous effect in my thought. Uh, okay. And there's okay. other rabbis I've studied with. But 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 you have a definitive rabbi, would be Rabbi Hochman here in Toronto. Right. Okay. Yeah. By the way, he will not he will not say it's interesting once you mention his name. Um, that doesn't mean he agrees with everything that, that that I say, you know. But would he agree that you're his student? Um, I think so. You hope so. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. But he, but he would say that. But don't think I think I think he's right on everything. Yeah. But yeah. but um, 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 but with Rabbi Soloveitchik's point, I'm saying we're talking about right. this idea. Right. It's like Rabbi Soloveitchik says, you know, you talk about Adam and Eve and 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 and, and so forth. He says most people think that the purpose of sex is having children. He says you don't get it. Okay. The idea that the child is the result of sexual union is a reflection that the essence of the sexual connection is the joining of the two people. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, the, and the result of the joining of the two people is a new person that is the result of these two people joining together. And the it's, result of their love. Of their love. It's not that, that we have sexual relations in order to have children. It's we have children to reflect the union of the love between the two parents. Uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is because these are deeper questions. And then you ask, how does this relate to God? Because God's not physical. Good question. And, and, and this is the challenge of it. And this is, I'm not trying to get, you know, it also doesn't lead to every lewdness. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean like in the 60s, you know, everyone was having all this free sex, and it was all love. Free, uh, it's not sex; it's free. Well, you know something? There is still a lewd aspect to sex, and not every time that you're trying to sleep with someone doesn't mean it's because I love you. You know what I mean? It's a lot more complicated than that. And obviously, from a Jewish perspective, there is a um, a monogamous nature to that love. Mm-hmm. That sexuality mm-hmm. only finds expression in that monogamous relationship. So if it's if, if if sexuality is so is so loving, you can have much more like the hippies of the sixties. No, we don't agree with that. But these but what I'm trying to say is this deals with the complexity of the issue. So let me ask you something. I was learning last night with my Chavruta, my yeah. my friend in learning, Motel right. Sota, the Talmud Sota. Right. And there's a piece of it which talks about that if uh, if 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 a woman is married to a Kohen, if a woman is married to a high priest and, and she's raped Right. Yes. They have to separate. Yeah. And, and and what occurred to me is, and and I was thinking about it last night because I wanted to talk to you about it today, is how cruel that is. Yes. And then I took it further, and I and I thought to myself, I've known so many homosexual men in my life. Um, very decent, kind men. Mm-hmm. They happen to love one another physically in a different way than mm-hmm. heterosexual people do. Why does the Torah care so much? Why have we called them throughout the generations abomination? And therefore, so much strife has occurred. By the way, by so the way, many people hurt. You used an English word there. That, okay. okay. Fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. Toeva is, not is a, a translation of abominations. A lot of people make mistakes. The, the, the King James Version of the Bible 
is not the Jewish Bible. Yeah, okay, fair okay. enough, fair enough. So, okay. Toeva, okay? Okay, Toeva. And, and for our listeners who don't study Torah or whatever, the word is Toeva in Hebrew, and it's defined in different ways. My question to you is, Judaism, to me, very often seems very cruel. Okay. You know, it, it's interesting because there, there's a lot of issues. You have the case of the uh, of the Aguna, the woman who can't get remarried and so forth. Right. It's, you know, something... This is where I'm, where I'm getting. There's a matter of the law, and there's a matter of the culpability for the violation of the law. I would never say to 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 a gay individual or something, "You're going to hell." Yeah. Because I have no idea. I don't understand his drives. I don't understand how God looks at his drives. And the point is, I understand that the law says, the Torah law says that, specifically, the biblical Torah law says that. That, and that leads into a whole issue of what the law is within Judaism, biblical and rabbinic law and so forth and so forth. But the biblical Torah law says that the male homosexual act is prohibited. Okay. Why? So I would sit there and say that's trying to inform something about the nature of sexuality that is between male and female. Then you show me a reality that two males have this type of attraction. Okay. So uh, do I do I hold them culpable in the eyes of God if they if they have a sexual liaison? That's up to God. That's not to me. I can tell you that they violated Jewish law. Right. Why is Jewish law like that? It has a theory in terms of what love is about, and has something to do with male and female and stuff like that, and so so forth. It's it's obviously complex because what you're saying is is at the same time that there seems to be this concept in Jewish law that ultimate love of this nature is between male and female, there is some aspect where God has created some similarity of attraction in, in males. Do I understand that? I don't. Okay, I can say what the law is. I can't say what's culpable. Okay, that, you know, in terms I, of... I'm assuming you've had to deal with, you, uh, through yeah, your rabbinical experience, the cruel, uh, quote-unquote, the cruelty and, or the and, result and, of, of... Yes, of, and the fact is, I have to render this as the law, and then... You know, it's interesting because it's so interesting. Like, people talk about the death sentence and so forth. Right. Okay? And people don't know this from a Jewish legal perspective. In order to be, in order to face the death sentence in Jewish law, okay, you have to, you have to in a court of 21 judges, because the court, the criminal court in Jewish law that dealt with death sentence, well, sorry, it was 23 judges. Okay? Okay? And, you had to have witnesses, two eyewitnesses, okay? So how many times do you see crimes done in front of two eyewitnesses? And they have or, to warn them. Uh, that's <laughs> what, that's the other way. And you have to warn them. Don't kill and, that person. And, okay, yeah. don't do that to that person. Or, yeah. or if you do that, you're violating Shabbat. Yeah. Or, or you can't sleep with that person or whatever. Right. Okay? When, you know, okay? And then the person has to say, I know, right. but I don't care. Doesn't happen too often. <laughs> so, so, so there is actually a commentator who points out that no one has ever killed for violating the law. Because if you want, if you want a ham sandwich, right, and two and two eyewitnesses sit there, and the punishment for ham sandwiches, according to strict Jewish law, is is lashes. If you don't want to get lashes for eating your ham sandwich, don't sit there and say anything. Just have your ham sandwich. Yeah, the guy right. sits there and says. Hey, it's against the law to do that, and so forth and so forth. You just continue eating your ham sandwich. That's it. There's no punishment, okay, according to Jewish law. 
Okay, so this 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 commentary says, I believe is Rabino Asher, who was a fourteenth, who's fourteenth century major decider of Jewish law. Basically, says, if you're doing it, okay, just because you you want that ham sandwich, then the person could just keep his mouth shut and not be punished. Yeah. Why is he really punished? Because he's specifically saying, I know it's forbidden. I don't care what God says. He was like a rebel. More than rebel, it was, it was um, challenging God. It was, it was saying, I know that God says it, and basically, it's sort of like being disrespectful to God. To, to God. To God. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's a very different thing. Okay. So, so the 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 gay individual who says, I have a hard time saying, I don't, know, I, I can't accept that God saying that this is prohibited. It's already in a different world from a Jewish perspective. Yeah, it's fascinating. Okay, and the point is, but the fact is, is all these issues come up. Now, at the same point in time, we learn from these laws some aspect about interrelationships and, and how we relate and, and, and the male-female aspect. So the issue is is that, is that really what is love? And, in, you know, people look at Adam and Eve and they're created as male and female. And the idea of this type of love having something to do with the male-female connection. Then somehow we don't understand how that works in the real world, but that's that's the challenge of, of, of study. That's a challenge of understanding. You're listening to Hat Radio. This is episode 49 with Rabbi Benjamin Hecht, who's also my brother-in-law and has been for, what, close to 40 years, I guess. Yes, yes. And we knew each other before you met right. my sister, right? Right, absolutely. Right. You were kind of a cool guy, actually. Okay, thank you. No, no, you were. Like, you're one of those guys, you know, you, you got your law degree, you know, you got your, your, your business degree, and then you got your accreditation as a rabbi. Like, you just did it all, right? <laughs> that's how, it, in the world we come from, that's pretty admirable. But um, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm delighted <laughs> to be thank interviewing you. you. I am. And in some ways, it's like a combination of the many, many years that, you know, you and I have yeah. known each other and been friends and been family. Right. Right. So thank you for doing this. Um, I do want to mention, by the way, that uh, the show is sponsored. And uh, I'm very grateful to our sponsors. I've mentioned before Mark Greif of uh, Greif Philanthropic Services has put out a little bit of cash mm -hmm. to make this show happen. And he's a good man. And I'm thankful for that as well. And similarly, the show is sponsored in memory of Catherine and Leslie Samuel. And it's predicated, that sponsorship is predicated on uh, Tikkun Olam, which is repairing the world. Um, one of the issues that uh, I was asked to speak about today is helping an older person struggling home from the supermarket. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's a beautiful thing. Sometimes I go to the supermarket. The other day I was, I was there at Metro across the street and I saw this woman trying to reach the top shelf. Um, and, you know... You talk about people being motivated by their own need to help. I, I'm like that. I really mm -hmm. am. I, I need to help. It's like I need to eat. And I saw her. I said, excuse me, can I help you? And I thought, oh, man, this is great. And, and this, by the way, is not patting myself on the back because it's a drive that I have. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said, yeah, if you can help me. I said, I want you to know something. You're doing me a favor because I feel tall. <laughs> like I'm five foot nine and a half. And she was like five foot three. So when you're my height, you feel tall next to people like that, right? Mm -hmm. So I went over and I helped her. But but this sponsorship wants you to know that if you, or encourages you, that if you see a, an older person walking home from the supermarket, 
that you should really give them a hand. And that's a nice thought, isn't it, uh, Rabbi? Absolutely. Huff? But but you know something? Yeah. See, there's you see this is in in line with thinking. The truth is, is there's ethics that come from our heart, and we have our emotions and so forth and so forth. And yes, you got that emotion to follow through in it. You know, uh, uh, Avram Avinu was a person. Abraham. Who, yeah, Abraham uh, was a person. I can't remember to be to be much more. Be a little bit more <laughs> secular <laughs> there. Right. Yeah. But but he had a drive to help. He, he you know he, you know you see this at Stone. He, you know at Sodom. He basically says. Hey God, do you really have to do this? I mean, the fact is, he. he well, it's was, even more than that. He and his wife stood by the opening of their tent, waiting for strangers. Right, right. Yeah. At the same point in time, there, there, there's there, there's two issues like this. One issue is um, we've talked about this before. Is that um, you know you don't want people to be in need. So the point is, is you hear stories of people saying, well, there's someone out, well, there's always some tragedy in the world, so I'm able to fall through in this drive. You know something? Better that your drive not be satisfied and no one be in that need. Yes. And we've talked about that before. Y- yes. Right. But the, th- the thing that gets me is, is knowing when not to help. You have this great drive to help, and you have to know when not to help. And... Um, I always think of that famous Star Trek, Star Trek commercial, Star Trek commercial, Star Trek episode. Are you into Star Trek? At yeah. All? Well, the first one I enjoyed very much. Yeah, the first one, when they went back in time to the '30s, and there was this yeah. pacifist, right? Yes. It's like I, I have an article, for example, about about um, J. S. Woodsworth. You know J. S. Woodsworth is. Yeah. Okay. So when Canada declared war in '39, okay, he was the one member of the of, of the parliament. Who voted against the declaration of war because he was such a pacifist? Right. And 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 everyone went over and shook his hand and so forth and so forth. And I wrote an article that said, you know something, he was wrong. He was an idiot. Okay. <laughs> okay. The point of the matter is, is yeah, I understand. War is terrible, and you should not want to go to war. And yes, you should really not be. But you know something, unfortunately, the situations you have to know. When you know, when not at all. You know, in your case over there, if 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 this five foot three woman sister says, you know, is in a gun store down in the states, and goes, can you get me that? Can you pass me those bullets, <laughs> there, son. <laughs> yeah. Semi-automatic, please. You know, <laughs> I'm sitting there and saying, you know something. You gotta know. You gotta. Uh, you, you gotta know, know when to fold. You gotta know when to fold, and 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 that and that's what thought is about. So the truth is, is that you have to have that good heart. Is the idea of the heart. And and so forth, but we're 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 Judaism sets back and says, but you always got to think, and you, and 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 uh, it's interesting. A person like like Saul, it's like King Saul, right? Is perceived in Judaism to be a righteous man, yeah, right? But he made mistakes yeah. because because he was, you know, he 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 left the king of Amalek alive, right? The the king of Amalek was really a bad dude. And he had a little bit of of of, of a compassion for compassion the compassion for so over, you know something. So the point is, yeah, yeah, we understand that. We understand the compassion. So, but you know, you gotta know when to hold and know when to fold, and so forth. There's a beautiful story that a fellow who's a friend of mine on Facebook sent me. His oh. name is Mark Biller, and this is about his father. One of which is a number of stories. His father was clearly a, a very compassionate human being. Mm-hmm. 
I would argue, Benji, that some people have their empathy. Their empathy is a bit more developed than others. Mm-hmm. I think empathy is a learned trait, and I think some people really have worked on it over life. It seems mm-hmm. to me that uh, Mark's father, uh, Alex, I believe was his name, was one of those uh, people. After he died, many stories came out. And one of them is, he writes, my mom likes to start her day with a real orange. Dad left very early in the morning in keeping with construction site schedules. Mm-hmm. Every morning for decades in our fridge, there was a perfectly peeled orange sitting on the shelf. It was never talked about, never mentioned, just a silent love, to- a token from him to my mom every morning for decades. Uh, I-, I love those. Mm-hmm. I love those little uh, slices of life. Mm-hmm. Because I can, I can see that orange. I think in images, I can see that orange sitting inside their fridge. And I think it's a beautiful story. And yeah. I, personally, I think the world is predicated on those stories. Yes. yes. You know, like people often say, how am I supposed to fight evil? There's white supremacists doing these awful things. I said, be a better person. Yeah. Right? I don't expect you to go down to the south and fight these guys. There will be people who will do that. Yes. They're, 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 they're trained to do it. But you be a better person. Yes. And, and that's part of it. But you also... It's um, see that case is just a beautiful case of knowing when to give an orange, but um, I'm thinking of cases where where you have this. There's always these stories about 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 the grandparents, yeah, right, and um, they, they have a grandchild who's who's Rahmanul son, who's a Hebrew, who's diabetic, right, and and um, you know, they come over. The grandkids come over, and, and the gra- the grandparent wants to give something to the kid to make the kid happy. And what child doesn't like candy? And you know, one little candy won't hurt him, and so forth. And the parents are suddenly saying, "You can't give him candy." Yeah, that that's the challenge. That that's all I'm saying. Absolutely, you do the orange. You give the candy. You know, in normal cases, you want to do things. But you have to also recognize that even um, even a really really good drive has to sometimes go through your 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 mind, and that's and that's that's part of the lesson of God. Now that 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 leads to issues where when you said at least the cruel conclusions, I don't know them. I, I I can't answer them. But the point is is that's why this world is such a tough world because. It's complicated because if it was simple, we wouldn't be thinking as much. And the, an, an, another story uh, Mark shared with me yeah. was my first rabbinic post after graduation was in Montgomery, Alabama. Mm-hmm. That posting came to an end, and we moved to Hamilton, Ontario, a two-and-a-half-day drive. Mm-hmm. Now, you know that because you were a rabbi at pulpits, and you, had, you changed yes. very often, as rabbis do. Um, Ellen and the kids flew to Toronto. Our furniture was put on a moving truck. And I planned to drive the two-and-a-half-day trip to Toronto in our family car. My father, got, my father got on a Greyhound bus in Toronto and rode for two-and-a-half days to Montgomery just so that he could get in our car and share the two-and-a-half-day trip back to Canada with me. At some point on the trip, I turned to him and said, this is more than one could expect from a parent. To which he answered, when else does a man get to spend two and a half, un, two and a half days uninterrupted with his full-grown son as if he were receiving the favor and the treat? Mm-hmm. So I tell you this story because I think it's a beautiful one. 
and I have a son, and it's very true. You very want true. to spend time with your children. And also, the many, many different values involved. The yeah. fact is, is that when you said beforehand with the with the shorter woman and you helped her out, yeah. you felt good about being tall. People don't <laughs> recognize that so many of our drives, it's not one drive. Yeah. The fact is, is that it's not just I'm giving. It's also... I, I, I'm receiving back. It's 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 like sometimes you have this idea where people think to be to be righteous, it's going to be all about giving. Right. And the point is, it's not all about giving. It's about also understanding what you're getting back. That that doesn't take away from the from the motivation of giving, but the 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 dynamic the dynamic of life is much broader, and therefore. It's it's much more complicated, and what we have to see is all those things, you know. And 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 what you're telling me is the fa- the father was motivated to help out his son, but he also saw the value to himself in spending time with his son. We we don't believe in altruism, do we? Not 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 simple altruism. Yeah. We believe in 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 a um, in the complexity of life. Yeah. That, to give, you also get something back. You know what I mean? I mean, the fact is, is what you say about Abraham Avinu, okay? Um, he wasn't standing there and say, "Oh, I gotta help out, you know, travelers." It's a great deed for me to help out travelers. He really wanted to, and that's why. And that's why the the rabbis explain that that he was that, that story when he was we really see he was helping out people. And his desire to help other people, he was at his tent. He was seeing where are the travelers. So the, the, the rabbis explained that God specifically made it a very, very hot day so no one was traveling because he wanted Avram. Avram just went through circumcision. He wanted Avram to rest. But Avram was so sad that he wasn't able to help out people that God said, okay, you got to have some people, some travelers there. So <laughs> he sent the angels who would be travelers, but you know, basically know h- how to how to uh, let let Avram feel good about helping travelers, but to the extent that Avram could, because he still was was right after this major operation of, of Mila, being being circumcised at that age, it was not an easy not thing an easy him. thing. No, no. So the point is, is but that drive. The fact is, is that people don't understand that. Hey, listen, it, altruism does have a side. That if you're really understanding it, yes, there's a pleasure in helping others, and it's not just, and it's pleasure because we're all human beings, we're all connected. It's very interesting. I was just talking to a friend of mine whose mother passed away, and she said to me she never complained. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, "I'm sorry, but is that is that a good thing?" She said, "In truth, not for her." Yeah, you have to. You have to know. But we have this perception right. because she never complained. The, the point, she was like a purist, right? You know? and, and the point is, it's it's a it's an interesting idea within Jewish thought. Um, I'll quote from um, the Moral Prague, who is most famous. He's 1600s uh, major rabbi in, in Prague. Okay, okay, and. He's noticed, noted as the one who created the golem. Yeah, which but there he, was a movie and a book right, about. Right, and you know he was like a monster with God's name in his mouth, right? right. And therefore, did helped out 
But the morale was a major, major figure in Jewish thought. And do, you believe, do you believe that the golem existed? I have, I, I have no idea. You mean he might have? You know something? Um, is it... Yes, yes, it could have existed because maybe the morale really knew how to bring about a golem. The question is the morale knew how to bring about a golem. How come no one else brought out a golem? Right. Okay, the the because the, the, the golem was created to defend the, the Jewish community. So how come no one else? Brought, right. You know, so why didn't we use that weapon other times in history? Right, or, 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 or our protection? Yeah. He 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 was really to protect the Jewish community. You know, so you know, in a in a world of 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 God and miracles and hidden miracles and so forth, you know, it, it, anything's really possible, but. You know, it's very easy to run to say there's the answer and so forth. But, but you see, to me, the important thing is the lesson of this. You see, the the reason I started talking about the morale is he makes an interesting statement about good and evil. He says in everything evil there may be a little bit of good, and in everything good there may be a little bit of evil. Um, from a Jewish perspective, usually evil is an overextension of a possible good thing to a to a um, to a real negative conclusion. You know what I mean? So if you really look at some aspects about evil, like like um, what what's what, what do you call it? Uh, um, you, you you find uh, um, over that nationalism has a value, family has a value. But if you but but if you extend family to the extent they ignore every other human being, then it's wrong. Well, here, here's a better example, which yeah. I believe you shared with me years ago. Yeah, there was a prostitute in the story of Joshua, mm-hmm. and a prostitute in Hebrew and Jewish is called a kedesha, I believe. Yes, right, which, which comes from yeah. the root holy. Yes, and I I think you told me. Sorry if I misquote you on this, so you're here to correct me. But you said the problem with such people is that they love too much. So they've taken love and they've done it to an extreme. Is that accurate? There, okay, so the point is is that it really extends from what was called in, in the realm of the movies the good prostitute. Yeah. You know, like in the movies they talk about how the prostitute is really a very caring person and so forth. Right. So the point is is what you really saw is is uh, and and this was shown in the movies and in TV shows with certain women saying, "Okay, the the, the, the guy really, you know, he's really in pain. He's in, so okay, I'll let him sleep with me to do pain." Now the prostitute's getting paid for this, but the fact is, is that there is a. It could come from an idea of caring for others. Okay, the truth is, is the the term the terms that used in 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 the book of Joshua is zona. Is zona. Yeah. Zona and zona is another term for for prostitutes. It's also a term for for a person who runs an inn. Okay, so the point is, if you look at the innkeeper, okay, you need to eat. Here's some food. You need this and so from food. You have this physical drive. Okay, we'll do this. You know, and and this is what happened. You know, in the old west when the Cowboy came to the to, 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 to the to the bar. We all know that the, the saloon. Bar, the saloon. We all know the saloon had upper chambers, yeah. and basically the guy was thirsty and hungry, and other needs and so forth. So the point is, is that is that there's an idea now within Jewish thought. 
there's an idea of, you know, something just because you have a drive doesn't mean you go ahead with it. Right. So the point is, is that I'm hungry, but there's nothing kosher here. I can, I can put off eating right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, I have a sexual urge, but I can not follow through in it. But it is possible that, 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 that there's a person out there, some woman out there who's saying, Gee, I'd like to help out these guys. And that and that was done in the movies. Now, was that was that correct or not? No, Ju- Judaism does not think that that was correct, right. you know. But you know, but the, the but the point is you have to understand the the variance of motivations. And the fact is is that it's it's a balance of things. So I I, I talked before about Mark Miller's father. Yeah. Um uh, that's a specific type of fatherhood. Um I know that you come from parents, uh, one of whom was a Holocaust survivor. Right. Your, your father was. Right. Your mother was born in Ottawa, which is right. the capital of Canada. And I often wondered what sort of father was Harry, your dad. Uh, he was, uh, I knew him. He was an interesting fellow, but he was a Holocaust survivor. Yes. And there's something that comes along with that. And I know you've been grappling with that right. through your own personal growth. T- tell me a little bit about that. Okay. It's interesting because when you talk about my, my attitude about parenting, yeah, that was very much part of the style in my house also. I was allowed to have my own opinion yeah. to a certain extent. You know what I mean? I, I argued with my parents. And, and, and sometimes people found it very very strange seeing me go at it with my father and my mother and so forth with tremendous love of them and yes. so forth yes what i'm finding out now in the last maybe 5 years i've con- i'm beginning to confront aspects of my father that affected me let's say subconsciously or unconsciously because my father never really talked about his holocaust experience but at the same time that he never really talked about his Holocaust experience, it was a significant factor in his life. And now I'm beginning to see that. For example, my father um, became involved in our synagogue's um, cemetery community. He was mm-hmm. the he was the chairman of the he became the chairman of the of our synagogue's cemetery committee. He became involved in what we call the Ottawa Hever Kadisha, which is the burial society. Mm-hmm. Okay, he became very, very involved in Holocaust remembrance. So, for example, he was the chairman. He was the chairman or co-chairman of the Holocaust Memorial of 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 Ottawa or or even the UJA or whatever. Like, for example, they had a major Holocaust uh, memorial event on Parliament Hill. Okay, and at one of those events, they had six torches to be lit, and it was a major event. My father was one of the people. Who, lo- who who lit th- that torch? Oh, we'll six see. torches. Six torches representing the six million Jews who Rahman al you know, sadly passed away. You know, were, were killed during the Holocaust. He was he was honored. You know, because, and he was the chairman of the Holocaust committee. He was you know chairman or co-chairman. There, there's a there's a a a, um, a memorial to the um, to the Holocaust in the in the Jewish cemetery on Bank Street in Ottawa. And that, that my father was very involved in building it. And he was very involved in Holocaust memorials and stuff like that. Yet he never spoke at the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and the truth is it came out because I, I, I do talk to a therapist every once in a while just about certain things. 
think every rabbi needs to. But the fact is, is that um, it's coming out that I was very much affected by many things about my father, mm-hmm. which I began to understand was because he still had things within him of the Holocaust. He was... He, and, and I'm the same way, he was somewhat timid in the face of authority. You know what I mean? Like, like, like um, I can think of situations where, where, where he would be talking to uh, um, like customs and didn't do anything wrong, but he was very, you know, very shy. And I'm the same way when I go through customs. I have nothing, nothing to hide when I go through yeah. customs. Shy and so forth. I... I hate being stopped by police for for for, for a. I'm the same for, way. For, yeah. yeah. But I I think it has a lot to do from my father. Yes. Um, um, I I uh, I feel, um, and I'm feeling it now in terms of in terms of, um, I I think the way this came up, more in more recent times is because of my concern for anti-Semitism, in in the last few years, and I've been saying to people. I wonder if this was what it was like in Germany in the 1930s, where where there's a certain rise in anti-Semitism that's more subtle. You know what I mean? Like, it's not really that I hate the Jews, but I need to do this, and and somehow it's tied to some kind of anti-Semitism. And we read in Germany, for example, how many people voted for Hitler. Yeah, his anti-Semitism isn't so bad. It won't be so bad. Right. But you know, he's good for he's good for Germany, and it won't be so bad. The fact is, I'm now beginning to feel that that is also permeating the way a lot of people are talking in the states, England, whatever. That that you know, hey, you have to. It's uh, me, and I I'm very sensitive to that. So the truth is, is I feel that in a certain way. I look back to my life, and I think in certain ways I, um, I approach some things with certain timidity. Okay, I was not as forceful as I could be. I think that, for example, um, the year that we met, yes. okay, was 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 my last year in law, in, law, in law school, and I really tried to come out of my own that year. I really had issues, and I had to relate to those issues and so forth. And at the end, I, had, I decided I was going to go back to study Torah. Okay, I, you know, but the point is, is that therefore, coming to law school, I didn't follow up on my law. I did go back to article, eventually, but the fact is, is that I really was confronting things about me: who am I, and whatever. And what I began to f- now, I look back at it, and I began to feel, you know, something. I went along with the masses. Uh, in many situations, if I was in this situation, I do what the group would do. If it was in that situation, I do what the group would do. Right. That doesn't mean I did everything to the group, but the point is, is that who was around me affected me very more than I would, more than looking back to it, I, I would like. And that year in law school, I confront that year, that year, for a variety of reasons, I confronted that in me. Oh. I said, I said, you know something, and this is perhaps what you saw in terms of me being a little bit more cooler that year, is I was confronting the fact, you know something? I can't just go around, go, go and act like this in this group and act like this in this group, you know? I have to take a stand and, and sort of say, hey, you know something? 
I want to be like this, I want to be like that, and so forth. So that and, and that felt right for you. That really felt right for me, and 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 that and that really came out. Now that meant, in certain ways, I was somewhat different in the group. Like the year that you, you that you knew me, I lived near near Yisrael Yeshiva, okay. But the fact is, is that while there were things about the Yeshiva I was comfortable with and so forth, I also, you know, did not you know did not toe the party line put that way. Yeah. But but the fact but the thing is, is that's really where it came out that I I can't just keep towing the party line, depending on who I'm around. Like for example, the very idea of me com- me becoming a lawyer. If I look back upon it, whatever made me become a lawyer in the first place? Because mm-hmm. the truth is, is there were so many things about law school that I should have moved on to, and 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 really had no basis to me. Um, I think in many ways I became a lawyer because I like Perry Mason. You know, it's like Fair Ironside. No, no, be, before the Perry Mason, Perry Mason, not, the, the real one, yeah. yeah. No, but not not the real one. But you know, like <laughs> like and so forth. I didn't really know anything about law, but for some reason, you know, I started talking about law. I that happened so many times in terms of me making decisions based upon some sort of like effect from the outside. And um, my own timidity, and then that year in particular, I started voicing my own opinion, and that actually led to to a much stronger viewpoint on Elu Veilu because it's important for people to voice their thought, and that's not against God. That's what God wants you to do, within parameters. You know what I mean? This is kind of interesting because there's there's always a few roads in front of us, right. if if not more, mm-hmm. and we choose one. Mm-hmm. Because we can only go through one door, right? right? Right. So you chose the door of what we would call chinuch, of teaching, of Torah, right? Of sharing your ideas that you had developed over time. Right. And you did not go through the door which said law or legal over it. Right. You could have been a rich guy. Yes. You could have had an influence over law in a different way than you ultimately you know, it's did. It's interesting because... I'm a big fan of the, of the show West Wing. Yeah. Right? And I wonder if I was an American where in law school it wasn't just becoming a lawyer, but it could become a, something like a political thinker and so forth like that. Like if you know West Wing, someone like Toby and so forth. Or It's possible I could have went that way. But but the way law was presented in Canada, the the governmental aspect of law really is not it's not highlighted and so forth but i mean ultimately you started an organization called nishma right n-i-s-h-m-a nishma it's a beautiful word it's a beautiful name for an organization and it's predicated on the phrase in the torah na'asev nishma Mm -hmm. Uh, i will do and then i will understand are you happy with that decision in life ultimately um I wish this was more successful. Yeah. I wish that I was I was I had the skills to make it more successful, but in a certain way, um, on a selfish way, you know, like just narrowly, yes, I, I think I, I feel good about that idea. Now, the truth is there's repercussions to that that has made life more difficult for me, for my for my wife, for yes. my kids, and so forth. But on the other hand, if you speak to them, they would take 
I think, tremendous pride in the fact that they also learned through this system. You know what I mean? And that they become the people they have become through through the teachings that, that, that came about. So, yeah, I, I think that uh, it, it's interesting. I wish... I wish that the idea was more successful, but yes, I, I think that uh, had to. Now, the truth is, the way you said it, it's interesting, but not sevenishma. You know, most people say that we're committed to doing, and then we think. No, the fact is, is the first question is, why do you make the decision to commit to, to doing mm-hmm. before understanding what you're doing? Mm-hmm. The point is, is that's where the thought really begins. Why did the Jewish people? through thought say you know something because what they were saying is i don't necessarily know why all these laws are, are work but i can figure that out afterwards but i'm going yes. to come into law and that that's the first issue it was a thoughtful statement it was a real thoughtful statement it was a thoughtful statement about being committed to understanding what the relationship was with god and to think and to understand that you obviously always have to be in the process of thinking about what you're doing and you, you you make a commitment to do first because God directed you to do this, but then you have to try and understand it, and and the fact is you try to understand God and so forth. So, yeah, that that's that's very much part of my uh, that you know it's it's, uh, it's what I do. It's who I am. And, well, you know, what's it like to be older for you? You're what? Are you sixty five? Right. Yes. Um, I don't have the same energy as I once had. Okay. I, that affects me. I'm not getting things done the way I want to. One of the saddest things about about talking to Nishma is I haven't seen seemed to reach out to the younger population. Okay. Um, it's I, I would you know you know it's like um, it's interesting. I I don't want Nishma to end with me. Not 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 the organization, but the ideas, and it affects me that somehow I haven't been able to to reach out to the younger generation. And some people say that's because the younger generation is not as open to this type of thinking yeah. or whatever. Um, there's all these challenges about I don't even know the millennials and the Gen Z, but the point is. It, it it really reflects that 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 what I said beforehand the present day of the, the present idea of the world that you have two people basically saying to each other I'm right and you can go to hell and you see this in every country mm-hmm. where you don't have the kind of of dialogue between the opposing forces it's like that to me is tremendous tremendously um, tragic and Nishma basically stands for that's wrong. Yes. You know what I mean? It's just uh, um, people have to think and think after dialogue. But in terms of the people that you have impacted, and I know there are throughout the world, not only in Canada, not only in the United States. It makes you feel good. In Israel. It does, right? Yes, absolutely. Right, right. Absolutely. Because you're sharing something really important. Yes. I, I too wish, I wish my voice was louder. I wish I had a greater effect. And because therefore I understand what you're saying, because we, I guess on some really important level, we believe in ourselves, Benji. Yeah. And you want to, you, you, it's, see, it's, it's not that I want to succeed through Nishma. 
It's the fact that I want Nishma to succeed because I want that idea to be in the world. And I really believe that that's, that's what God wants. Okay, in the end, that, that, that in the sense, I, I really believe that's what God wants. And he, he, wants, he wants people to think. He wants people to, to expand their horizons. And uh, there's challenges and so forth. But, you know, and, you, know you see this over and over again in, in, in Jewish thought. You know, there's you know, this person does that, that person does that, and you move on from there. You know, you know the two, the the there's a concept of baltruva, right? The, the person who repents and go forth. Yeah. But the truth is, is is that the two most noted baltruvas in Jewish history was Yehuda. You know, Judah, the son of Jacob. Yes. And David HaMelech, King David. And both are progenitors of the Messiah. You know what I mean? It's it's in certain ways, it's the fact that they had challenging lives and they and that they struggled and so forth. You know, there's an interesting idea that I point out to people that the starting point of Christianity, for example, is that Adam sinned and therefore, there was a black mark, and they can never erase that black mark. Right. That's you need to be it's saved. called original sin. Right. It's got to be saved. The starting point of, of, of the point is you have to be perfect to get to the to 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 perf- perfection is necessary to get to the, to the next world. Maimonides points out that it's a little bit of growth that takes you to the next world. No one is perfect. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes and so forth. What gets you to the next world? As he puts it, one mitzvah more. Okay? In other words, what he's saying is basically he says, if you're 50.01% on the good side, that's the ticket to the next world. Because it's about growth. Yes. And growth is about the movement. No one is perfect. Okay, no human being can be perfect. Only God is perfect. Yes. What God's calling me upon upon me is to become a little bit better. That was the challenge of this world. So right from the beginning, the idea of original sin doesn't make sense within the Jewish perspective. Because the point is, is okay, now pick yourself up and move on. Right. Because you gotta grow. Right. And that and and that's really what happens. And I point out that, you know, I have an article about the tree of knowledge from a Jewish perspective on my website. Um, I mentioned it. Yeah, no, mention away, yeah. Okay, www.nishma.org. Yeah. You can look there. But the fact is, I point out that God's response to, to, to Adam and Eve after they sinned is actually like a loving parent. He said, okay. The fact is, is that is that it's very interesting because where the breaks are within the Jewish, the Jewish text, and 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 the chapters in the in the in the in the in what you call the Bible, we talk about Genesis chapter three or chapter two. That was divided. That was divided by Christian scholars. That's not the Jewish division. The Jewish division of the story of the tree of knowledge of good and evil ends with God clothing clothing Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve tried to clothe themselves. Okay, their attempt was very 
minimal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the fact the fact that the next what you have is the last act God t- gives them is that God clothed them. It was like a loving parent. Okay. Well, they had a hard time making the loincloth. That was tough. It, it, I'm I'm not sure, but 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 something along those lines. It's, it's it seems that they clothed themselves, but it wasn't enough. Okay. And God made them special clothes. Yeah. Okay. And there's an issue with that special clothes were and so forth and so forth. But if you look at the end of that sentence, there, it's like, okay, you did something wrong. Yeah. We, you know, but this is where we grow, and we're going to move on from here. So now, so God's act was as a loving parent. Okay. Now I'm going to clothe you. It wasn't a vengeful God. It wasn't. Like, it was like, okay, we got to clothe you. And we got to move on. Yeah. Okay. And take you on this step because the idea is to grow and to develop. That's what life is about. I, you know, as we uh, come to the conclusion of this interview, uh, I feel as though uh, there's two old friends. Yes. Sitting at the table. Yes. And there's a lot of water under the bridge. Yes. <laughs> We've come a long way. Yes. And I'm thinking about an awful lot of things, Benji. As to what some you know some of those things are, one of one of the things you taught me, and I literally did not know this prior to you teaching me this, was that I was not the center of the world. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I taught you that I was. Yeah, that, right, right. Yeah, it was one of us, and you won. But I remember you you telling me as a young man because I was going through a lot of emotional right, problems. Right. And I remember you telling me, listen. Uh, yeah, it was very demanding of your time and very demanding of your ear. And you told me, you said, listen, be patient, relax. Other people have priorities as well. And, of course, I was very angry as a young man to hear that. But ultimately, I came around and I understood what you meant. And that was only one piece of my own self-development that you helped with. And it was a major piece, but there were other major pieces that came thank with you. that. So I actually want to take this time to thank you for that. Thank you. Because I thank can you. only imagine if you've done that for me, what you've done for others. Thank you. I know. Thank I know you. the big sigh there. I heard thank that. <laughs> and, and, and I think the addendum is that, look, I think part of life is, is a certain healthy frustration. You, yeah. you know, really, like... Any person worth their value has always felt that, my God, I could do so much more, right? And I'm assuming that, you know, we should lift 120, metaphorically or otherwise, that even on our deathbed, we're going to try to accomplish certain things. It might be how we're responding to the person who's sitting in front of us at that time. But that's that's really who you are. I mean, you're always growing. You're always changing. You're always learning. And even more so than that, and this seems to be a huge piece of life, you're, you're always sharing that with others. Thank you. So, so you put, you put a thank good you. Word. So when, it, when I met Naomi, you put a good word in for me? Well, you know what the Torah says. You marry the woman based on who her brother is, right? <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> not always. Not always. Not always. No, it's, it's just, uh, um, it was interesting because when I started dating Naomi, it was like, I already knew you. Right. You know, but, but uh so, Benji, um, tell us your website once again. www.nishma.org. I should say something. Yeah, please. You can only do what I've done with the support of a, of a, of a, a wife, a spouse, who is into the same objective. Yeah, you've been very blessed that way. Right. Very, very right. blessed. And, and my, children's been, my children have all been supportive, and they all have their own 
unique thoughts. Oh, well. Benji, you've raised incredible kids with Naomi. Incredible. And everyone knows it. <laughs> That's nice. Everyone knows. Like, just the fact that your kids, I think, of the four, three of them, I think, they used to learn with their Chavrusa was Rabbi Turin, the late Rabbi Turin. Yes. I mean, Rabbi Turin was a world-class scholar. Right. And he was part of Nishma. Right. And the idea that Tikva, your daughter, or Dodi Lee, your daughter, let alone your sons, would learn with this man, I mean, that's what books are written about. She mentioned my sons, Chai and Razi. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just, I'm just saying, at the end of our days, man, like the seeds you plant and the ones you watch grow, are, are they're, they're our progeny, I think. And uh, yeah, you, you and Naomi have done a hell of a job. I would suggest to people very strongly that if you're you know, curious about life, if you're curious about Torah, if you're curious about truth, there are a lot of places to go. Do your research. Do your due diligence. Work hard at it as you would your investments, right? Um, but one place that you should end up definitely is nishma.org because there is a lot to learn there, and it's very refreshing. You can find Rabbi Benjamin Hecht online at koshertube. It's koshertube.net, is it? No, it's it's now koshertube on YouTube. If you go to oh, YouTube, is it? Okay. Yes, but you can you can search for koshertube on YouTube. You can search with my name. I think it's Rabbi Ben Hecht or whatever. But but uh, I'm on YouTube. Okay, great, great. I'm on uh, other places, but you can you know, yeah do H E C H T and I'll also do a search. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Also, you can also attend your classes at Adath Israel Synagogue here in Toronto on Sunday mornings. Yeah, yeah. Yes, nine thirty. Well, I want to thank you very much once again. And I want to thank uh, my listeners. Uh, the 50th show, which is coming up next week, is with David Shore. And David Shore is the creator and the writer for the show House, as well as The Good Doctor. And I had a schmooze with him last week um, online. And it was fascinating, really, because this, this man really is at the top of his game in terms of uh, these shows. He really is considered to be one of the best, if not the best, writer in Hollywood. And I learned a lot from this, Benji. Wait a second. Yeah. I have to put a plug in now. Yeah, go ahead. Because the best writer in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Sure. Right? Yeah. My son is a writer in Hollywood. Yeah, he is. That's so true. So therefore, watch what you're saying. Yeah, there, you're you know? right. Young man. Yeah, yeah. Well, David Show is considered to be the second best. Okay. Everybody says that, you know, variety, the second best writer, right? Yeah, your son is a great writer. That's true. But have a listen. That's going to be coming up. Um, and uh, if you have any questions, please feel free. I, I, just to plug in. And my, and my, other, my other children <laughs> are equally talented in their fields. I, you're, a good, you're a good dad. And I, and I have two nice daughter-in-laws as well. Yeah, Carol you're, you're, you're a good dad and a good father-in-law. Carol and Jesse, so. Okay. Uh, feel free to be in touch with me. Uh, you can go to our website at hatradio.ca, and I look forward to being with you once again next week. Thank you very much for listening to Hat Radio. It is the show that schmoozes. Do you like that, the show that schmoozes? Yeah. Anyways, thank you again for listening, and God bless. In an increasingly complex world, Greif Philanthropic Solutions is proud to sponsor Hat Radio and the one and only Avram Rosenzweig. No one is better than Avram at simplifying the art of communication, providing inspiration, and unifying people of all backgrounds. 
GPS is there to help you navigate the charity landscape. Avram is there to help you navigate life. You've been listening to Hat Radio with Avram Rosenzweig. Sponsored by Goodness and Positivity. Hat Radio, the show that schmoozes. Step inside my living room. Share a little talk. By roads walked and lessons learned. Keeping the flame of faith burning. I want to know where you've been. What you found out. Spread some light in the darkness. Spread it all about in the hat, in the hat, put it all in the hat.